Hey everyone, I'm Steve. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Keychains Podcast. Sure is. Uh, yeah, so I was on vacation last week, so or was last week, I don't know, time is meaningless now. <laughs> it just gets in the way of everything. I think it was uh, <laughs> last week-ish. Uh, did you have a good time? You went on a cruise? Yeah, I went on a cruise. Uh, kind of did like the, the Mexican Gulf Coast area of uh island hangouts and that was pretty fun i did get to play some key forge on the uh the balcony deck or balcony room of uh one brian that we play key forge with all the time that was pretty nice friend of the show brian yeah uh that was that was cool um didn't get to play as much as i would have liked to but uh i did definitely get at least a a chance to play a couple games with him and then we played on tuesday actually that was last week yeah, so yep. so technically it was two weeks ago when I was on a cruise. So yeah, I got to play on Tuesday and that was pretty fun. Yep, I was there for that. Yeah, we uh, we played a three player game, which was actually pretty fun. So we got to play a three player game, uh, which was pretty fun. I'm actually finding that I think three players, if you're gonna play multiplayer Keyforge, three player is probably what you're where you want to be. If you have four people, just play two games one on one. If you have five people, then you do three player two player. And if you have two player, then obviously you just play Keyforge. Um, so three player seems to be kind of where it's at. And uh, I mean, there's some cards that are, are, I think Irradiated Ember was the one that seemed a little OP when we were playing. Yeah, uh, it it's a, yeah, it's a Mars card where, um, paraphrasing here, but uh, if at least one of your opponents has six or more Ember, then you deal three damage to each enemy creature. So you have two opponents. Odds of one of them having six or more Ember is pretty good. And then the fact that it does three damage to both of your opponent's creatures because it's each enemy creature and they're all enemy creatures kind of makes it kind of makes it pretty great um plus our little house rule of the first key a player forges is at six ember the next is at seven the next is at eight or the final is at eight makes it a lot a lot easier for someone to have that six ember floating around in their pool but yeah i also like looking at other cards that would uh fall in line with that i don't know if it's that bad uh, if you look at, think about like EMP blast or which is uh, each Mars creature and each robot creature is stunned. I mean, you're affecting everybody that has those out at the time. Uh, it's like gateway to discs. It's going to you know, destroy every creature on the table regardless. So, I mean, three damage yeah. in because one opponent has a Amber to everything seems. I mean, I guess it's less one sided, though, because you are not affected by it. I think it's, I mean, even in a, thinking about it in like a one player or one on one game, it's not that OP. Like, I mean, it's, it's equally powerful, I should say, yeah. uh, where you're wiping out a good chunk of their board and yours is perfectly fine. And so I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's that problematic, but it's one of those things that, you know, more playing will give us more insight into it. Uh, but it was it was actually really fun. So yeah. I'd recommend uh, trying that out. The only um, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode, but yeah, like the uh, the only changes we really do are that. Uh, the the cost, like I said, the cost of each key is six, then seven, then eight ember instead of six, six, six. Um, and I think that's pretty much the only. Oh, and then capture. That's right, captured ember. Uh, so if I capture Steve's ember and then friend of the show Brian kills the creature that ember was on, Brian gets that ember instead of Steve. Whoever kills the creature with the captured ember gets that ember. Right. Um, it doesn't go if, back to the. If, 
Yeah, if for some reason, like let's say I capture some ember on a creature and then I pawn sacrifice that creature, I as the controller of that effect of the ember, you know, or I as the active player when the ember would be distributed, get to choose which of my two opponents get the ember. So there's a little bit of strategy of giving, uh, taking ember away from friend of the show, Brian, and then sacrificing my own creature to give that ember to Steve because maybe Steve uh, doesn't have any keys forged yet. So he's the, the lesser threat of the uh, the two. Yeah. Brian probably is sitting on two keys, knowing Brian. But the the thing I will say about the what you were saying about three players versus four is that I think things like you know things get kind of confusing just the way with the way that cards are worded in in KeyForge with three players. Obviously, hmm. when you add that fourth player in, those mechanics start getting a little bit more dicey because then there's just a lot of things to consider there. That's fair. Um. So yeah, it's just like if you got four people, it's just probably best to have like a mini tournament or or something where you all can just rotate in between each other and play. Makes sense to me. But for three people, yeah, it was it was a entertaining time. I mean, we've even played we played with our our friend Harry on Tuesday, but we we've done this before with Brian as well, and uh, both times were pretty fun. My only, I mean, like with any game, adding additional people to the the play definitely increases the time that it takes oh, to yeah. play a game. It still wasn't terrible, but yes, it was definitely markedly slower than a normal KeyForge game. Yeah. So, but it was it was good. It was a lot of fun. Definitely, definitely. Um, so we talked about this a little bit last week with uh, with other Steve, Strategic Dino Steve. Um, but the new open play and premium kits came out recently. Um, obviously, my opinion's been shouted into the podcast void here but uh you've had a chance to look at these over steve what do you think about the uh the let's start with the open play stuff uh, all those monthly card rewards that you can earn yeah. um what do you think about those yeah so uh unfortunately i did not listen to the last episode so i don't know what your opinions are so maybe i'll get to learn about them <laughs> here through your responses uh but uh the i know I'm, I'm generally not a fan of the card tokens mostly because the the tokens themselves even the cardboard ones the chances of them getting damaged are much less prevalent where like the original starter set cards that you get mine were bent and and kind of wouldn't sit flat pretty much from the beginning uh so i, I that didn't sit too well with me granted i kept my cards in the box for a while i didn't you know put them in card sleeves or do any of that uh right away but yeah that 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 was kind of my thing i i even though these are like smaller uh, i'm still not nah. i just rather yeah. have the tokens the tokens make things a lot easier we talked a little bit about uh, especially with the the ember ones where it's kind of hard to count up how much ember your opponent has if they're all stacked up like cards as opposed to individual tokens yeah um, I will say I really like the uh, side B of that Ember token where it shows the grabber jammer and it shows that keys cost one more Ember. Yeah. Um, I really, really, I like, I want those cards just for that effect. Cause I mean, I've got a deck with like Mermuk, two grabber jammers and a lash of broken dreams, being able to slap down how many, you know, how many cards to represent how much their keys cost extra is super useful instead of trying to remember all that math, especially if they end up killing one of those creatures and forgot to forge their key or, you know, trying to go back and figure out what happened i mean what i will say about this and especially with the way that they're approaching giving them out uh it is nice for the people who just bought a deck and don't have any tokens and they can at least get you know they can get some some things through winning or just participating mm -hmm. uh if they don't have you know tokens already 
or they just are maybe not as invested in the game as like we are where we dropped you know sixty dollars a piece on you know premium token sets uh again thanks steve (laughs) but uh you know i think for those people it's probably really good for me as a person who has been playing for a while and uh kind of invested uh i'm i'm very meh about them yeah but i i'm on the same uh you know we were both in the same boat uh other Steve and I, um, that we're glad these exist, even if they're not for us, even if we're not the target audience. Um, but for people that maybe didn't get the starter set or don't plan on getting a starter set for tokens, these are these are pretty good replacements. And it's just a cool concept of them saying, hey, look, you don't even need to buy our starter set. Just go participate in events and you don't have to pay a single penny aside from maybe buying at least one deck so you can play. Uh, and you can rack up all of these cards. Yeah. And, you know, you could, you could theoretically at this point spend $10 to get one deck and then just accumulate all of these cards through participation and never have to pay another penny beyond that 10 bucks. I mean, you won't, you'll definitely spend more than $10 because all of us are suckers that way, but you know, yeah, I mean, even bringing it into the premium, (laughs) the premium kit outside of that, like the, the key cards are really neat. I do like that. They have like some, some kind of, you know, they have the house art on it or the, the dominator art uh, on them. Uh, Do I want card, based keys probably not um i mean if you really wanted to maybe because like again like looking at them for me it's a very very bulky thing compared to what the actual physical keys are um but if you're willing to damage your prize i guess you could in theory cut them out i don't think that would be i think that the value of these is that you so with all of these things the open play rewards the premium play stuff uh, everything that's come out already, you just you can throw it all into a single deck box and you're good to go. You don't have to True. worry about little individual Ember tokens shaking loose. You go to a tournament, you've only got a deck box to worry about. You don't have to have a little plastic container with all your tokens in it, you know, and, and all of this stuff is legal. So it's a one-stop shop kind of thing for your deck box, which is yeah. it's really cool, especially since most deck boxes are designed to hold, you know, 60, 75 cards and a keyforge deck is only 36 you got a lot of space in a deck box to stuff all your extra extra cards in i actually really like the idea that they've got with these keys i think that so if you haven't looked at these keys uh and we didn't talk about this last episode so this is new content don't worry guys uh with with these keys they very closely mimic the appearance of the uh tokens that come with the starter set which is fine but i think that they could have an opportunity in the future to take the actual key art and change it to maybe reflect a little differently uh, or look a little different one thing that we don't know about the crucible as a whole um, the world that keyforge takes place on is like we know that there's these keys we know there's these vaults we know that the key uh, the vaults require keys to be opened and we've seen these keys so far but that doesn't mean that every vault necessarily has the same keys to open it so maybe these keys could look different you know based on what they feel like doing maybe there's one that looks more like marsy uh, instead of just having Mars art along the side. The other cool thing is they might be able to do like foil versions of these, and that would be pretty fitting. Yeah, that, I, that would probably change my opinion pretty quick. But yeah. So while I'm not crazy about these specific current ones that are out there, I mean, they're cool. Yeah. They're, they're neat. They're not for me, but I'm fine with other people liking them. Um, I'm excited about the future potential of what this initiative, what this uh, what this shows as a, you know, for the future Keyforge. I do like the idea of the deck boxes, though. Um specifically mm-hmm. thinking about i although <clears throat> i'm very i don't i don't know if we've looked into this very much 
Um, but do we know if like these are designed to hold sleeved decks? I would hope so, given the fact that it's part of the tournament or organized tournament rules. I would, I would presume so. Yeah, I mean, because because right now, I, like we've talked about before, I have that that hive deck box or card holder, and right now it's like a pain in the butt to get my cards out of it. It's like my only like yeah. gripe about it right now, and I don't want to use. Like I personally bring a good majority of my decks with me, and maybe I do need to think about eventually having a larger, a longer term storage thing for decks I'm not actively playing, and then uh, a storage, and then using the hive for decks that I am actively playing. But right now, right. Um, right now, like I like the idea of these. Like if I can put them in my my uh, in my hive, and they're a little more condensed compared to like the uh, Ultra Pro stuff where you know it's this big cardboard box that i could probably fit multiple decks in actually thinking about that that's actually a good point too but uh for at least organizing <laughs> them um but right the having that kind of set up that way where i can have like official keyforge stuff kind of lining up and it looks like there's on the side of them like a little bit of like space to write what's in there on there Right, so you can put an Archon's name or whatever, however you want to identify him. Yeah, and then um, have those all lined up in my yeah. box. I think that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like the the deck box. If this, I like, I'm. I don't know, that's probably not. No, there's no way that's to scale. I was gonna say it looks a little thin, uh, so it, it seemed more designed for Keyforge. But I don't know if there's any way to really get the appropriate dimensions off of this image. Probably not. But yeah, so I wouldn't take that <laughs> at literal face value here. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited about earning this yeah. stuff. Uh, I talked to our local, uh, our LGS, and they did put an order in. So we'll see if Alliance and Fantasy Flight actually ship. I think. Their, um, I think we were talking. To, this time. I think we were talking to them on Tuesday. They have it already. Oh, yeah. do they? Oh, they had. I, I know what you're talking about. They had some. It was the old um, open play rewards, or no? Maybe no, they are the new open play yeah, rewards. Yeah, we but knew they about got them from an alternate source. Uh, there was another shop in the area that had closed down, and for some reason, they got some of these rewards. Oh. Um, and they stopped by and just dropped off, like, "Hey, we're not going to use these. We don't actually have a physical location." So that's how they got the first bit. Um, I don't know if they've gotten the ones that they ordered oh. yet. Oh, we'll find out. But they got something. Yeah, yeah exactly. I guess we'll find out on Tuesdays. I do like the playmat too. Yeah, the playmat's cool. Although I already have a Mars playmat, so now I'm like, man. Well, I don't. So it's the, yeah, that's true. So you can have that one. I'll trade that for your disc playmat. <laughs> no, I want my snudge. Keep my snudge. Snudge is a sweet playmat. So yeah, yeah. So I'm excited for this stuff. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. So speaking of playmats, they actually did announce uh, nine new playmats. Yeah. Uh, for sale. For I like I, I'm thinking this is probably going to be uh, the thing that they do going forward is with every set they're probably going to release like a bunch of play mats for yep the um, the set itself that makes sense these play mats look yeah, pretty cool so. I mean there's a there's a variety of different art from different houses and stuff uh, there's like uh, there's one Bravnar there's at least one Logos there's a Untamed well there's one two three five six there's seven there's one for each yeah seven plus two intro ones so yeah it looks like there's like one for each um yeah the uh machinations of dis playmat looks really awesome i like the mars one the mars one looks pretty brutal uh what is that? yeah that's the it looks like that's the storm crawler is what it's called if i'm if i'm lining yep. these up right that's pretty cool i mean before they the playmats weren't named after the cards. <clears throat> Excuse me. Right. Uh, yeah. Actually, it that is still kind of how they're they're listed. So the machinations of dis highlights the orb of in, invidus invidus 
That makes sense. Sure. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a pumpkin man with a scythe, like two scythes. It I turns out that, that that's not the I case at all. That. It does kind of look like a pumpkin man. Yeah, once you once you kind of get a little bit closer to it, just like oh no, that that's not it at all. You're like oh no, that's not a pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> but I can see where you came from on it. Yeah, but it looks cool. I I like them all. They look really they really they do look really nice. Um, and then the uh, it looks like they're gonna do. I, I wonder if this they're going to do this with uh each set as well so there's a mat that is definitely like a, a beginner mat i guess is what we call them or I'm, I'm not sure but uh one side or maybe that's the le- the handedness of them now that i'm looking at it uh but there's one that is very clearly age of ascension coloring and then there's one that is clearly call of the archons so i don't know if those colors are going to have like a left and right hand version or what, but the image that they show the age of Ascension one has the, all the stuff on the right. And then the, the call of the archons color yeah, is on the left. All the blank spots are on the, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. Which is interesting. Um, and I wonder if they intend those to be like the, uh, like the color of each player. So if you went to like an organized play, like a, a major tournament or something, you'd have red player, blue player, or red side, blue yeah. side. I wonder if that's their intent with the colors or if they'll continue to make new colored play mats for future, um, sets. It's a little tough because the only two play mats we have are red and blue and the only two sets we have are red themed, blue themed. So maybe that's happenstance. Maybe it's. Well, actually looking at reading this article a little bit further, it looks like both are going to have Age of Ascension art on them. I think that. that right. Sanctum card. But the color scheme. But yeah, the color, color scheme. Red was the color scheme from Call of Archons. Blue is the color scheme of Age of Ascension, regardless of the art that's appearing. Yep. But yeah, that's that's a good point though. They they both have, regardless of the color scheme lining up with different you know sets, they both have uh, age of ascension art yep. on them that's pretty cool so that's right on the fantasy flight site if you uh if you go there you hunt down Keyforge, just a bunch of links um and it's one of the newer ones yeah. along with all the organized play open play stuff uh you can find under the news as well yeah so look pretty sweet are any of them do any of them jump out at you any of them are you excited to get any of them in particular oh yeah i'm gonna buy the, this one yeah that one's pretty sweet i do like the hippo that's pretty sweet too uh i probably won't get it but <laughs> I do like the Abed the Grim one too. I, I mean, I like that art. Yeah. Whether or not I'm gonna get a Sanctum based playmat, who knows? Right. That raiding night one from Call of Ascent, uh, Call of the Archons is really cool. It was. I, I think I'm not. See, I'm not wild about the art of Sanctum, the style of Sanctum, uh, artist or aesthetically speaking. But um, that raiding night one was sweet. It was cool. I wouldn't have minded that yeah. one. I'm sure there's other. If I went through, if I went through and looked at like literally every Sanctum card, I'm sure a few of them will pop up at uh at me. Um, so actually, hey, if you're listening to this episode, you want to go on to Twitter, um, shoot a tweet at us or reply to this episode, and we link it up there and let us know what your favorite Sanctum card is that you'd love to see on a play mat because I I'm having trouble picking one. <laughs> <laughs> so feel free, toss it. Prove me wrong. Prove that there is a a sweet sweet Sanctum card that would make for a good play mat. I will happily eat crow. So we did play this week uh, on Tuesday, and I've dabbled a little bit on the Crucible online uh, here and there when I've had some free time. Work's been crazy busy, so I haven't had as much free time as usual. But uh, one of the things that I kind of noticed in my gameplay was um, I had a little bit of a level-up moment. And the concept of a level-up moment, I'm sure, existed prior to where I'd heard of it. Um, But I came across the phrase and the concept uh, in the limited resources podcast it's a podcast for magic the gathering uh, specifically for drafting in magic the gathering and a level up moment is one of those things where you've been you've been playing the same way 
for however long. And then all of a sudden you come to a realization about your gameplay or about a game mechanic. And you're like, wow, I could be doing this differently or I could be doing thing X instead of thing Y. And that is a much better move. That's a much better play. And you, you know, just like in a, in a role-playing game or something, your, your gameplay, your player skill levels up. So now you're on a new level and you're, you're playing even better than you were before. So these level up moments, they don't have to be huge. They can be little things, um, you know, to the point of uh, like a level up moment I had um, that I, I mentioned last episode as well was realizing that if I start at the top of the card and work my way down, I have a better chance of not forgetting my bonus ember because it's right there in the top left. So drawing my eyes from the top of the card downward helps make sure I don't forget those. And, you know, ember is pretty important in this game. Um, spit. Yeah, so they can be little level up moments like that, but they can be big level up moments too. Um, not that this is necessarily a big one, but one of the ones that popped out at me recently was uh, Drumble and Ether Spider. Uh, so Drumble is a disc creature. Your opponent would play it against you, and if you have seven or more Ember, it steals all of your Ember. Uh, sorry, not steals. It captures all of your Ember. Sorry. Um, Ether Spider is a Mars creature that, while it's in play... Uh, so if your opponent plays it against you, while they have that Aether Spider in play, every time you would gain Ember, it gets captured by the Aether Spider instead. So if you try to steal from your opponent, if you reap, uh, if you get bonus Ember off a card, all of that gets parked on the Aether Spider. And I use the word parked because that's exactly how I, that was my level up moment. I was thinking of it as, well, wait a minute. Unless I have six Ember, I don't care how much Ember I have. If I have four Ember or five Ember, none of that matters it only matters once I hit that six mark or seven if they have, you know, key delay stuff out. Um, so my opponent plays an ether spider. I don't need to hit the panic button and immediately get rid of it. I only need to worry about getting rid of it when I need to forge a key. In the meantime, I don't care if it holds onto my ember. It's not really my ember wasn't doing me any good anyway. Um, so I started playing that way with the ether spider. Even in one game, I let it rack itself up to 16 because I had better things to do. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, he has like some nasty stuff on the board that can capture my ember. So if I kill the ether spider now, he's just going to capture it with other things that are harder to kill. So I just left his ether spider alone several turns later, eventually killed the ether spider after taking care of all of his other problematic things. And two turns later, I forged both keys, win the game. Um, so it was really, it was a really cool level up to just be like, Ether Spider seems scary, but when you think of it, it's just, it, it's almost like a, your own little pocket universe that you can park your ember on and then eventually reclaim it later when you kill the Ether Spider. Yeah, I think there's, it's very dependent on the, the type of deck, obviously, too. Like, if you don't have sure. a reliable way, <clears throat> like, crashing, like, five creatures into Ether Spider to kill it seems like a, a, a bummer way to try to do that. But I mean, That's a really at the same point, time, I... like you can, you you, it's still maybe a, a functional way of doing it. Uh, having something yeah. that's just going to destroy something, though, obviously would would pull that out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I can see where Ether Spider could become a problem for a person, and they might hesitate to to do that stuff. But also, yeah, I, I agree. Like using those cards and just letting the the amber kind of play there, and then because they're like you said, there's they have no way of gaining that ember they're only just doing that to slow you down just be like okay well now and i'm that, gonna pop it and i can you know like uh, and that was kind of the double level up moment i had was that in addition to not worrying about my ember being on the ether spider i then also had a realization that if the ether spider has my ember they can't steal it so i was against a deck uh when it, the the moment i realized this was in a game against a deck that had mars and shadow and i saw them 
discard a bait and switch because I had zero ember and all of my ember was going to the ether spider and I wasn't dealing with the ether spider. So bait and switch was just a completely useless card in their hand. Um, and when they, the moment I saw it get discarded, I, they just, it clicked for me. I was like, holy crap. I can not only do I not have to worry about my ember being on ether spider because I can get it back when I want to more or less, but I can also deprive, I can, I can shut down their ability to steal my ember. And sure enough, like that, that game went south for them because they had a lot of steel in their deck. A lot of people do have steel in their deck and they just were not able to use any of it. They'd get a naughty, the thief out on the table. They, they were just reaping with it because the action was useless. They'd get an, or they'd play an urchin. It, it's playability to steal an ember was useless. It was just a body that hit the table. Um, right. And it was it was really it was almost funny. I felt bad a little bit. It was funny to watch just how much of the steel stuff was dead weight because all of the ember was on the ether spider. And then uh, I mean, you're right. If I if I had like a bunch of two power creatures, it's a lot more obnoxious to deal with that ether spider. But what I would do is I would take my weaker creatures and just slam them into the ether spider one per turn kind of thing and just slowly chip away at it so I could continue reaping and building up ember on the ether spider for when I dug it back. Now. As soon as I see that bait and switch get discarded, I had to be a little bit careful because maybe they reshuffle or get it back somehow and I'm staring at a bait and switch. Um, but, you know, I, I knew that I had I had a window of time where I could like, OK, now I want to kill the Ether Spider because he's probably not going to have a way to deal with all this glut of Ember I'm going to get back off of. It. Yeah, for me, a lot of my level up moments have mostly come from just straight experience, like like through time. And really what it, what it, what I mean by that is I looked at a lot of the decks that I had from the beginning and I made a lot of judgment calls based on, you know, just how I was performing with those decks at that time and being like, Oh, well this deck sucks. This deck sucks. And not really kind of, I just didn't have the context for what those cards did. I just didn't play with them enough or, you know, you just kind of like, I played three games with it, lost all three games was like, ah, this cards or this deck's bad. Then we, you know, you and I had been talking a lot about like deck ratings and trying to figure out like, well, what does all of this mean? Uh, and as we were going through that, that conversation uh, offline, I was like, oh, well, let me go look at this and, and I'll look at all these decks. You know, we would toying around with that toy whiz. Uh, deck tracker and uh, I started looking at all of the decks that yep. kind of had those higher ratings you know and kind of like looking at all the stats at once and then being like you know I should probably pull out these decks that I started playing in the beginning you know and you know play the ones that I thought were really really good at the time and see if my opinions of those changed and then kind of going back and then looking at the decks that I thought were bad but had the high ratings and going huh well what did I miss here? So my opinion on the ratings in just maybe me giving me pause to reevaluate my decks, uh, I will say that was definitely very helpful. Um, but that was kind of like my big level up moment lately. It's just kind of going back to to the well and looking at the, the decks that I opened, you know, back in December and kind of or January and just kind of going through them and going like, oh, OK, this actually turns out to be awesome or this actually turns out to be not so great and like i thought my my horseman deck was the bee's knees and then turns out like it's completely mediocre and maybe also trending towards bad so you know it's, it's kind of one of those moments that was big my big level <laughs> up moment yeah that's fair that's fair it's yeah and that's yeah level ups can be it can be anywhere it can be understanding a game strategy it can be understanding uh you know how to appreciate a deck better than you used to it, it can come from anywhere so keep your eyes open for these things as you play um 
as you get these little realizations, it's important to kind of note them because it's easy to get discouraged that, you know, maybe you keep losing or maybe you're not doing as well as you'd like to be doing. But if you have these little level up moments, even if you're not actually winning, they're eventually going to stack up and eventually you're going to start winning more. Eventually you're going to start having a better play experience. Um, So don't get discouraged just because you don't have this huge epiphany with a giant light bulb over your head. All these little victories will add up to game victories in the long run. Um, and the top players, uh, like if you look at like top magic pro players, they have a win rate of maybe like 60% and that's really good. So if you're only winning half of your games, that's really good. If you're not winning half your games, still pretty good. Like you, you got to look at it in the, in the context, no one wins hundred percent of their games. If you're winning hundred yep. percent of the games, you're probably cheating. <laughs> you think that, or you're somehow ridiculously good and you should <laughs> probably make a podcast so we can all learn from you. Um, but yeah, so the level up moments are pretty cool like that. Uh, another one I had was knowing when to turn through your deck. Um, I was in a situation where I had a card that I had hold, held onto for one or two turns and I was debating, you know, because it, it's kind of sitting there holding up a spot in my hand. I'm like, do I ditch this card? Because um, it was it was a, uh, I don't even remember what it was. And let's just say it was a hand of this, uh, which destroys a non-flank creature. Um, so let's say I'm holding into the, onto that and they've only got two creatures. And I'm like, well, do I hold on to it for another turn and hope that they play a creature so that they have a non-flank creature in existence and I can at least get some value out of this card or do I ditch it now? And I, I looked down and saw how many cards were left in my deck. And I think I had like two cards left in my deck. And I realized that um, discarding this card, because I was worried about not having access to removal, uh, discarding this card meant that I had a good chance of getting it back because I was going to be drawing three cards at the end of that turn, which meant that I went through the two that were in my deck and then I would be shuffling my discard pile. And I realized that as my deck got lower in card count, I should be playing more aggressively uh, with my discarding um, or just throwing cards out for the bonus ember because I will get there. There's a chance of getting that card back sooner um, if I get through my deck. Now, turn one, turn two, turn three, I'm going to play a little more conservatively with my discarding and with just throwing cards out for bonus ember, obviously depending on the deck and depending on how the game is going. Um, but for the most part, uh, I I thought it was a cool realization that, yeah, like as, as you get closer to that moment where you're going to be flipping your discard pile over, shuffling everything back and then getting access to your cards again, that's when you really want to put your foot on the gas and start churning through those last cards uh, as quickly as possible so that you get right. access to the things you've already played, the things you really want to get back. No. Yeah, I mean, I do deck, generally but, play know, a bit on the, the racy side <laughs> of things. I, tr- I really do try to churn through my deck as fast as possible. Um, maybe just because I got some positive feedback at some point while playing the game where I was just like, well, if I can reshuffle my deck before he or my opponent reshuffles their deck, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm already on top. Uh, but like you said, like there's also those times where it's just like, man, my board state is too good to just, you know, put like throw the pedal down and, and just utilize what I have in front of me first. Yeah. I mean, I've had games where, I have a decent board state and I don't, I just put my, my hand of cards down off to the side and I don't even need to look at them because I know I'm going to call that same house over and over again until my opponent deals with my board state. Cause you know, I'm, I'm sitting there reaping for four every turn, reaping for five every turn. And unless my opponent starts doing something about it, I'm going to win this game. Um, and I don't need my hand to do it. Yeah. This is sort of off, off topic, but how much, like how much Amber gain per turn do you feel is like, on pace to being kind of difficult to do right or to deal with right 
So, you know, do you, do you feel like you had a good turn after, you know, picking up four Amber at the end or is like one Amber enough as long as you're consistently generating one Amber a turn? I think you know what I mean, but. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Like where, where's your comfort zone in terms of Ember and uh, your feelings of victory? Um, I think it depends on each deck. Some decks just aren't going to be capable of generating a high number of Ember, um, which might be okay if the deck is a controlly deck. Right. Uh, I think for me, I, I know that it's possible to steal stuff out. So it's almost like a, a diminishing curve, like a, a downward curve where in the first few turns uh, after I've forged a key or going into my first key, I want to be generating a lot of Ember and then I want to trickle down to a lower amount of Ember because I want to hit six Ember, maybe seven Ember. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to get past that point because that's when you start really walking into a bait and switch. Right. Um, if I'm playing Brobnar, I'm uh, playing against Brobnar, I'm going to stop dead on six. And I'm just, even if it means just passing my turn without playing a card and without reaping or with a creature, without doing anything, um, I'll just pass at six. And because I don't, I don't want to walk into the uh, burn the stockpiles type of problem where, you know, I go to seven and now all of a sudden I'm turning on their mass Ember removal. Right. And that's fair. But I think in general, if I'm going to if I'm going to say, like, if I want to sit back in my chair at the end of my turn, draw my cards and say that was a good turn, I think three to four Ember really makes me happy. Um, If I'm popping out three, four Ember, then I know I'm in a really good place. If I'm at two, if I'm if I only generate two Ember on a turn, that's kind of just what I expect. I want to be generating two Ember a turn no matter what. Right. And if I'm at one Ember, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I I advanced my game plan. I got an Ember. Not, you know, I'm, I'm not hitting the uh the finish line anytime soon at that rate but it's you know it's still not a lost cause uh, and if i have a turn where i don't generate any ember at all then i am really disappointed unless i did something really really strong on the battlefield like took out all of their creatures or uh, had them ditch a bunch of resources you know i i really want it to have been a uh, a successful turn and one of the metrics i use to kind of look at that is is what was my net am- uh, ember for that like did i play a creature that's kind of one ember in my favor um, because i can reap with that creature did i take one of my creatures and fight their creature and kill it well that's one ember in my favor because now they don't have a creature and hopefully i still have my creature so i have one ember for my creature they have minus one for their creature um so it's it's or you use like a poison wave where you get the bonus ember and then you kill several of their creatures that's a pretty big ember potential potential ember swing so you know i look at this this net gain of ember um based on my plays and even if i don't actively gain an ember as long as i changed that equation a little bit in my favor then i'm still happy with the turn yeah and that makes sense gateway to disc is a great example or or a key of disc where any of these cards that destroy all the creatures um i had uh, I, I routinely play decks with a rise in them, so I might um, blow up all the creatures, then play uh, a rise, get a bunch of creatures back, and even though I didn't gain any ember that turn, that was a huge swing in my favor because they lost a lot of resources, and I basically just bounced resources back to my hand uh, with a chain added on, well, several chains at that point, but still, like you know, I recovered faster than they did, and I'll be able to capitalize on that, whereas they're now struggling right so it was net my favor so yeah i mean i I pretty much agree with you on that like three to four is is like perfect for me when it comes to like you know just a the average game state you know obviously if i generated one on a turn where i'm gonna i'm trying to control out then yeah that's that's cool too so yeah that kind of i think does it for us 
uh, this week. Do you want to do our, our plug, Ryan? Yeah. So, uh, as always, we plug another content creator at the uh, the bottom of the show here. This week's content creator is uh, on Twitter, at I am underscore the Wookiee. Wookiee is in Star Wars, not Wookiee as in something else that isn't related to Star Wars. I don't think it exists outside of Star Wars. I don't think that word <laughs> is used anywhere else other than Star Wars. So, I, I'm probably pretty good just saying Wookiee. He does a podcast called The Archons Corner. Uh, it's aimed at a competitive Keyforge audience. I've listened to a few of its episodes. I like him. I like his perspective on stuff. Um, and uh, he seems to be doing good work there. So check him out. Again, that's at I am underscore the Wookiee uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't know if he has other social media presences. Uh, I didn't go deep in the well on, uh, on hunting them down, unfortunately. Um, but check him out on Twitter, and I'm sure he's got links to everywhere else, uh, including his podcast itself. Uh, the Archon's Corner. Um, so aside from him, Steve, how do people find us? Yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Keychains Pod. Um, that's also the same for Twitter. Our email is key pay, uh, keychainspod at gmail.com. You can find us on YouTube and Twitch with the same name. And then on Instagram, if you want to follow us there, it's Keychains Podcast. All right. Well, anyway, Ryan, you have a good one, man. Hey, you too. Yep. Take care, everyone. See you later, everybody. Mm-hmm.